Cradleine Network. Second episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for March and April 1993, progs 828 to 831. This time, we've cleared the deck, so it's time for some brand new stories. Oh, thank Dread, God. <laughs> Dread, Bad Company... Uh, fire kind, the one that I forget, uh, Armored Gideon, Gideon. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Dread and Kelly roll on. Um, and if you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dread, the Complete Case Files 18 and 19. We're moving into a new case file here, buddy. The Complete Bad Company and the Fire Kind Collection. And hey, speaking of that new case file, Fox. Okay. Yeah, let's, let's do get, that. Yeah, let's get started with Thrill One, Judge Dredd. You know, I really despise a loogie. Like, yeah, we all get them and we all do them, but like spitting them on the street or doing them out in public, I'm like, that's real. It's definitely like one of the top five things that I was very proud of when I was like, a kid yeah. that I now no longer want to be involved with in any way, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like, like just, hey, look at all this fucking gross gunk that I can pull from my nose combined with my throat and saliva. Yeah, like loogie spitting, bullying, I think. <laughs> um, just like generally being an asshole, um, not sitting still, all these things I used to do that I now do not like to do in the present. Um, anyway, script robots for Judge Dredd, Garth Ennis and Mark Miller, art robots, Anthony Williams, Carl Critchlow, Greg Staples, and Brett Ewens and John Burns. Lettering robot, Tom Frame. It's our boy. Woo. It's my little boy, Tom Frame. Hey, Tommy. <laughs> Just lettering his way through life. So we start off with Garth Ennis writing and Anthony Williams on art at the Josie Wales block. And of course, Joe's out, the outlaw Josie Wales, 1976 Clint Eastwood film. And it's the Goblin Finals. They're taking place, and Ugh. those seem to be a high-stakes spitting contest. And apparently the greatest spit artist shows up. He's the overalls-clad Greener Hawk. Um, everybody hates him as he talks trash and prepares to take the Golden Gobber Trophy back to Texas City. I just realized, Fox, yeah, I wonder... because he's a yokel. Yeah, yo local yokel. I like that the uh, Golden Gobber is like an Oscar that's like got like a, a golden spit coming out of his mouth. I'll also mention that like, w so we're, this is all being spoken about by somebody who's just coming there to watch. Mm -hmm. And they came there to watch with uh, their friend. His name is Colostomy. And he's just Gross. got mass, he's got massive pants on. And so I'm just thinking to myself, it's just like, okay, so, oh yeah, me and Colostomy Kid the, are always the big fans. Colostomy Kid, yikes. Yeah, I'm like, that doesn't, that's not good. That's just a throwaway gag, you know? It just came out of nowhere. 
I, I like he doesn't look like him also Fox but I wonder if Greener Hawk is a reference to Sylvester Stallone's character in uh, Over the Top who was oh, also named yes. Hawk and I mean because Hawk does go over the top here as we'll see oh yeah no I mean he gets it in big oh it's yeah. so gross Anyway, before Greener can spit, a call comes into Dread, and he's sort of vaguely on his way to stop the Goblin. Um, it seems most of these spits are landing on the window of a of the of a next door um, uh, city block, and the uh, windows of one specific couple, which seems crazy. They hope Dread gets here soon. Yeah, they're the ones who called. Stop yeah. spitting gross ass shit on our window. Definitely. They say it's the Kaufman block, but I couldn't see any other signage to give me an idea of which Kaufman that might be. Andy Kaufman, maybe? Who's to say? Um, anyway, Greener winds up with a massive loogie, and we really just get panels detailing his whole process here, which is pretty gross. Snorts and hawks it, and then releases it with a massive green spatooch. Ugh. It flies so hard it goes ballistic all the way over the target city block and onto the nearby Megway, where it hits so hard that it actually smashes through the windscreen and into the driver of a nuclear tanker, causing a massive explosion and car crash. It's a nuclear tanker. It would be a lot worse than this. Yeah, well, maybe it's just like, like, it's not an actual nuclear reactor, but like some fuel rods, or maybe it's just a bunch of like danger gas, but um, <laughs> it's like nuked up a little bit, you know, like the radiation yeah, okay. makes you go faster or something. Anyway, <laughs> Dread barely manages to survive by turbo boosting on his bike, and he arrives at Josie Wales to arrest everybody involved with this tournament, Toot Sweet, just as Greener gets handed the trophy. And I'll mention here that Anthony Williams is once again drawing Dread with that kidney badge, which I hate so much. <laughs> um, also, his, also, he draws Dread's shoulder eagle is really tiny, which I also don't like, just while I'm marking things down here. Uh, <laughs> Greener's finger does the perps, and he goes to the cubes never to be seen again while everybody else involved gets five years. Next up, Mark Miller is, is writing and Carl Critchlow's drawing, and this is the first dread not written by Annis Wagner and Grant from what I can see in, like, a very long time, maybe since Blood of Satanus when Pat Mills uh, I, did some dread writing. And I'll be honest, it's not a bad one. Also, <laughs> yeah. going to comment here that I love Critchlow's work. Also, it's one of the first times I've seen what a shoulder eagle looks like, like from behind when Dread is grabbing the handlebars of something. So you can see that it's actually resting on his um, upper bicep or like a tricep, like just yeah. like behind it. So that's kind of neat. I'll definitely tell you that that is a contra. Like, I've I've actually talked to this a couple a couple times to Eli on uh, on Big Big One about this, but like where the shoulder eagle attaches, how it attaches to a judge's body and stuff like that. Ooh, that is like controversial and very much up to how an individual artist cho chooses to oh, do it. Oh, sure. Well, yeah, look, man, I, I'm just saying that it's interesting to see the back of Judge Shred's shoulder that's not covered Absolutely. by an eagle. Absolutely. That is an unusual shot. We don't see a lot of just judges from behind unless they're lady judges. I'm just saying. Um, anyway. <laughs> Uh, and I should mention also that, yeah, so it Mark Miller's writing here, for first non-sort of big three writers that we've seen in a while. And I'll tell you, Fox, that behind the scenes, 
Garth Ennis is, is getting a little bit burnt out on Dread. We're going to start seeing more writers come in to write the Lawman of the Future as the year, as the year wears on. Oh. And then eventually get to a point where Dread's less sort of one's one specific writer sort of general purview. Although, you know, of course, John Wagner remains the most important Dread I, writer. I liked, He's not there day to day. But I liked Garth Ennis's kind of like that, like callbacks to shit like that was one yeah, of the yeah me too yeah that was one I, of the I, real graces of having him on the team yeah i liked him being a i or i i like him being a fan of dread and so thus being willing to bring things back and have that knowledge that i think wagner and grant are less into i guess in terms of yeah. like callbacks and stuff um you know we've still got got a bunch of time with ns on in here he's around and stuff like that i'm just saying that you know expect there to start being some variation in authorship as we move through dread in the progs basically um, and, oh, I should say also this story weirdly falls in between case file 18 and 19. It's not collected anywhere. So like this is a that's weird. This, yeah, this story, which is, which is a fun one. I agree is mm-hmm. kind of a lost dread story. Apparently, I don't know. I mean, happy birthday, J.D. Exactly. Yeah, we see a Mega City one. Or on a Mega City One street, a group of kids sings "Happy Birthday" to to Judge Dredd as he rides past them, and in doing so, they break the decibel limit of the city street, and these kids are in trouble. Apparently, <laughs> got to be careful at the uh, at the Victor Meldrew block, who's an old man character from the show One Foot in the Grave in England. Dredd arrests a woman for being part of a conspiracy in her husband's suicide, which is tough. <laughs> yeah. Then later in a Megway tunnel, a te- the tap tax bandits are robbing from the rich to give to the poor when Dredd shows up on the scene, stopping briefly to punch and arrest a pedestrian for spitting, which like, yeah, yeah we just learned that is a crime, just FYI. <laughs> These are stories are building into each other. And when the bandits see that it's Dredd, they all give up right away, except for one who gets hit by an incendiary round just for fun. So I guess he got I, Dredd in 2012, right? Well, I like I like that uh, everyone gives up and they're like, oh, we're not messing with the big man, especially on his birthday. Right. I mean, you got to think, especially when it's Dredd, like he, you know. Yeah, no, it's a double decker of just like, let's not fuck with him because it's his birthday. He's out for blood. I think this right. is how it's- he enjoys his B-Day. Definitely. I mean, and it's like all superhero. I mean, Dredd isn't a superhero, but you know what I mean, where like, if you're just sort of like a thug or whatever in Gotham City, like if you aren't even like if your clothes aren't even themed or anything, it seems like <laughs> you just give up when Batman shows up. You know, yeah, you no, aren't going to be the guy done. that beats up Batman. Like he's going to crack your spine just casually, just surrender. <laughs> anyway. Jesus. I'm, um, you know, whatever. The, these are the Batman, facts. Batman, no, Batman me. does a lot of horrible damage to people. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. It's uh, billionaires so yeah. taking, uh, taking their stance against the weak and helpless who turned to crime. I know. Bruce Wayne is Listen. a villain. Hashtag 2012 or 2021 killed Bruce Wayne. I, I listen. We should the next the next uh, dread Batman crossover. Like I'll. I want to continue this debate, but I, we don't have time here. Absolutely. <laughs> I got I got big contrarian, contrarian Batman thoughts. Um, but yeah, don't mess with Dredd on his birthday. Speaking of which, Dredd gets a call into Justice Central. And when he arrives, oh, it's a surprise party. Hershey offers him an armload of presents, but Dredd just heads back to the streets. Give him to charity. Yeah, I mean, he expected it. I don't know what they were thinking. 
Listen, I just want to say for the record, I'm not like Dread. Please give me lots of presents and well wishes on my birthday. <laughs> so next up, Garth Ennis returns on writing. God, I love it. Staples is I on art for this one. I love this one. For all, all of the reasons, it's the best thing in the comic. Oh, my um, gosh. God, it's I I fucking I like Johnny Kiss. I like Johnny mm-hmm. Smooch. Smooch Makes me before I die, Kiss Daddy. Mm-hmm. There is onion. It's East Meg 2 at midnight. There's onion domes and scary venom like monsters. No eyes, though. Sneaking around, killing guards, going after Chief Judge Tractor Factory. The old man pulls a gun from his pillow and kills the monsters, but then a cool dude in a brown leather jacket with bl- with black leather pants and a streak of white in his long black hair just shoots that dude in the face. Oh man, you gotta understand his opening line is pucker up, Joseph. This is your good night's kiss. This is Johnny Kiss, he's gonna give him a smooch. In Mega City 1, the judges discuss the political situation in East Meg 2. The replacement leader is probably either going to be Riboflavin, who we've met before, or Judge Marky Markov. While in Eurosit, that cool dude gets a call from a shadowy figure. It seems that Tractor Factory was just a test, and his real target's being faxed to him right now. Faxed! He's so cool! He's got a fax machine! (laughs) Suddenly a voice calls out. It's the mohawked leader of those Venom dudes, angry that his people were used as a decoy. He attacks Kiss, but Kiss grabs him by his long tongue and then has like one of those knives that goes in between like your middle finger and your ring finger. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, exactly. It stabs him through the bottom Man, of, the, of the head. See, you're missing the beats. You're missing the important oh, sorry, beats. Sorry, before that, he does that, he gives him a little right, smooch on right. the noggin. He gives him a smooch on the noggin before he does that. You're right. Absolutely. He's <laughs> Johnny is, Kiss. He's is, maybe yeah. my boyfriend now. We, yeah, this guy's name is Johnny Kiss. J-O-N-N-I, buddy. Johnny. That's how you know. He's too hot to handle. Then his fax machine comes to life and, is gets, and he gets his target. It's Dread! I, I swear to God, Conrad, when, when we start some kind of campaign, I don't know what, I am going to just make a character called Johnny Kiss. And nice. he's going to do exactly this! Nice. Listen, I'm going to make Nosferatu write his name in blood! <laughs> so we'll be ready to go, you know. Worship the stars of the night, the eyes of a mystic spider. Um, well, kiss that spider before I stab it, boy. Anyway, yeah, Johnny's stoked, and as he like prepares to kill Dread, I guess we see a wall of judge badges from around the world that he's presumably killed in the past. What a cool dude! He's Johnny Kiss. He's cool as fuck. And Johnny Kiss, he, you know, he needs some time to prepare, so he will actually go after Dread in 1995. So we got a little bit of time to wait. You know, the one thing about Johnny Kiss that people don't know is that he doesn't fuck. Oh, he's just a, he's like, like a, or no, he's one of those, um, he's, he's on the, the asexual spectrum. Nah, like, man. He's just a. He'll make uh, out and, and pet, but he doesn't go all the way. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's a ghoster. He's 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 not playing baseball. He's playing cricket. So he just goes from one wicket to the other and sit oh around the bases. God. Oh my god! I don't even know if that makes sense. I All mean, right. it's funny. <laughs> 
Brett Ewins comes on art for this final dread story. John Burns is coloring, and we learned the safest place to live in Mega City One isn't a sector house, the cubes, or even just as central. It's the Rowdy Yates con apps. And the safest time to be there is Tuesday night, because that's when the judge who lives downstairs makes his rounds. And yep, that's Judge Dredd. I feel like if you knew that every Tuesday you just not do the bad stuff. Mega citizens can't help it, you know? Like, for instance, it's a bad night tonight for Emmy Lou Lavender, who seems to have just killed her husband. Just hit a freaking meat cleaver right into his skull. Bad times. Whoops. <laughs> Dredd's tired after 60 hours on the street, but he's still got to do the walk here, scare everybody, let them know who's boss, etc. He hears loud music from apartment 207, kicks down the door, and gives out a, no- a noise violation warning. And we got some funny, like, I don't know. It's funny that 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 Mark Miller's story had elements of crimes from the two of the Garth Ennis stories here, both spitting being illegal and noise violation stuff. I thought that's kind of weird. Uh, Dread checks into apartment 310 and on a young lad that's been very well behaved since he got his lumbotomy. Um, Mrs. Lavender is getting nervous as Dread busts a couple for sugar and takes a man in for having an overdue vid slug. He shoots some footsies, some guys who are suffering future shock. And when he finally arrives at the Lavender apartment, Emmy Lou immediately confesses. After all that worry, it seems that she's happy he's finally arrived. Well, yeah, I guess just confession will at least get you not shot and then just life in the ISO. Yeah, something. Or maybe like even Psycho Cubes or something. I don't know which one's better or worse, to be honest. I mean, it sounded like uh, abuse, so. Yeah. Bad either way. Yeah, just some more one-offs. I'll tell you that next episode we will get kind of a longer, like, three-part dread story. Okay, cool. So this, yeah, this spate of uh, of episodic dreads is going to, you know, briefly, well, a brief respite from it at least. I, <laughs> you know, you know I'm just going to tell you more Johnny Kiss. Mm, Got to wait a little while before he comes back, but put him on it's your really, back burner. You know, keep him warm really a shame. he's not ready to go it's yet. really a shame. You know, like uh, like Stan Lee, I think, you know, Dreads just does have a couple long term like villains just waiting, waiting in the cut, just waiting to show up here. You know, I guess Judge Death's like that, too. You know, this whole thing. Oh, you know, Judge Death's in custody. Never mind. Excuse yeah. me. Sorry. Got captured in that Batman thing. Bringing it back around, I guess. Beautiful. But speaking of a monstrous enemies from another world, Fox. Speaking of a monstrous amount of fucking just dialogue and like a, a needy, I don't know, fucking Lois Lane. God yeah. Christ. Armored Armored Gideon. Script about John Tomlinson, art about Simon Jacob, letting about any park house. Look at those eyes, Fox. The robot eyes of Armored Gideon. Oh, they're terrifying. The headlights of the robot that I really wish would be allowed to do the thing that it needs to do. But we've got so much backstory to get out of the way. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, this is kind of a this is a complicated story, to be honest. And the last and the first Armored Gideon story was in 1990. So, you know, it is. I mean, yeah, the last Armored Gideon we looked at was black and white. 
you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so probably decent to have a recap here. Uh, Frank Weitz is a photojournalist who saw an ambassador turned into a demon, then be killed by the dimension-jumping demon slayer robot armored Gideon. After getting his photos rejected by his editor, Naomi Benson... Frank was grabbed by Gideon and, um, you know, trying to get those photos back, basically. And Frank was dumped on the edge or in the edge, a dimensional envelope around our world full of demons and stuff. And, you know, pretty decent guitarist, at least for the first couple year two albums. I don't know. Don't ask me to get whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, because because the the edge, man, that's like one of the U2 guys. Oh, I'm the edge. Exactly. Very interested in the Samut Gideon comic book. Oh, no. Frank escaped Gideon, but was grabbed by a bunch of Satanists that thought he was the ancient demon Dansquitter. This led to a reincarnation of Gideon's brother, Armor Jerubal, and eventually a titanic fight where Frank teamed up with some flying whales to hit Gideon's off switch. It's Armor Gerald, watch out! Mm, We see the end of the first story. With Frank bloody lying in a pool of water on Earth, and now it's a month later, Frank has to go back to the edge, because without Gideon, it seems like Earth is being overrun by these dang demons. And now everybody wants his freaking pictures. Seriously. So, into the actual story. That was the pro. The past is prologue, Fox. And we're all actors on this stage. Editor Naomi Benson looks out on London, now burning and under demonic attack. She laughed at Frank White's when he tried to sell her photos of this coming horror. And now she's having some second thoughts, as we see a pretty awesome double page of uh, just demon war raging oh, outside yeah. of her office. I, I will say, outside of my scoffing and guffawing, some beautiful fucking art in Armored Gideon. Yeah, like, I like I like Simon beautiful. Jacobs stuff a lot. Yeah, and he's just doing a lot of uh, a lot of demons and weirdness in this that are pretty fun. Um, it's even worse because only Frank, with the power of psychic photography, can actually take pictures of these dang things. So everybody who's trying to file reports just comes back with blank films. No good. Like another <laughs> famous newspaper editor, Fox. She needs pictures of demons. Wow. <laughs> Need these goddamn pictures of these goddamn demons! <laughs> Frank isn't returning her calls, though, so she takes a cab to his house, narrowly avoiding a demonic driver, and arriving at White's place just in time to see him going through a portal to the edge. She acts fast, jumping in after him, and the two both go tumbling into that alternate dimension where an army of demon dudes are preparing to burn a deactivated and crucified armored Gideon at the stake. Living on the edge! Leave it off the edge. All right, fucking Aerosmith. Finally, um, beautiful. Yeah, bad scene, Fox. So naturally, Benson try, uh, forces uh, uh, Whites to give her an expedition and a, an exposition dump. We just had one of those, um, and does take a moment also just to go full Link in the Zelda cartoon. Fox, excuse, excuse me. me. Yeah, <laughs> a tandem. Anyway, I, I hate sorry. this woman so much because Absolutely. she's not a female character. She's just a a thing to yell at someone about. Yeah, just a uh, just an avatar of nagging. Um, God. <laughs> um, anyway, White's has a plan to restore Gideon. He just walks right up to that army of demons and uh, you know introduces himself as Dire Dansquitter, the demons that or the demon that those cultists thought he was before. Also, I guess they look similar. 
<laughs> Although he does have to sp- spend some time trying to remember the name. And I'll admit that I've used copy-paste pretty heavily for me talking about this character. No, I mean, yeah, you have to because it's got Jesus. a lot of symbols. I keep trying to say it quick to see if it spells out another like spoonerism or something, but I'm not getting anything. Um, they, But the demons immediately accept Frank and he and Naomi climb aboard Gideon and hit that pentagram protected power button on his back as a demon army asks what the heck they're doing. Frank talks tough as he activates Gideon, but the robot doesn't turn on. Oh, no. Luckily, though, it's just that Gideon's ancient construction doesn't conform to modern UX standards, Fox. So <laughs> it just takes him a couple minutes to start up. But you don't really notice that he starts once the power button goes on. Look, he's you know. an older computer. It takes a minute. You know what I mean? Yeah, he doesn't have a he doesn't make a CMOS uh, uh, beep sound, and he doesn't do that thing nowadays where there's actually a light that comes on when he's turned off. You know, changes color when you turn him on or anything. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, Armored Gideon finally breaks free, annihilate, but then things instantly look bad as a giant demon shadow falls over Gideon. And oh geez, it's the actual dire Diane Squitter. And here's here he's here to take out Gideon once and for all. And he's just sort of a wolf demon dude with cool armor, talks with a lot of alliteration and like flowery demon talk. I mean, kind he of just stuff. basically keeps calling him a pus guggler and like all this other shit, where it's like, all right, man, like there's yeah, only so many different ways that you can say that you find this contraption disgusting. Like we get it. You it went to college. Me, yeah. It takes me it takes me back a lot to uh, to the Ultimate Warrior in a professional wrestling fox. You know what is this? To which of the thirteen daughters of the abyss didst thou liken my sister? Oh, noisome spatula, scrabber, stables, stable sweepings. That kind he of stuff. Really, it just really feels like he's trying a little bit too hard. That's mm-hmm. all. Thanks, anyway, Gaiman. Yeah, because <laughs> he's a big guy. Frank explains all this to Naomi, and it looks like Gideon might be in trouble, at least until he starts shooting, and then he just freaking like zaps this dude with a bunch of lasers and quickly cuts him down to size, literally until he's just a little tiny dude, and then Gideon smushes him. Yep. Um, then he begins to annihilate the rest of the demon army, and once he's done, he gives Whites a long, hard look, then warps back to Earth. Frank and Naomi follow him, landing on top of a double-decker bus, following after Gideon, heading out of a flaming London. Next uh, time on Armored Gideon, flame for fire on the plains of Peckham. Well, at the very least, the bus is still running, even though London's on fire. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You got to have that commitment to your craft, buddy. And I should say that uh, Peckham is a uh, like a... Um, a district of South London, basically. I've been on one of those double-decker buses now, Fox. I, not not a red one in London, but like a, a, a municipal one out here in the east of England. Very fun. I, I've just been on normal buses. I haven't really really seen the double-decker ones in our in our kind of excursions to London town. It's funny that um, out here, like all of the trees grow in this square shape that exactly fits the buses flying, like like driving past them on the sides of roads and stuff like that. That may be indicative of those things just clipping those goddamn trees. That's exactly what I mean. Yes, no, they've been beaten back into that shape by the power of bus. And speaking of otherworldly powers, Fox. Oh, God. And big things you can ride on. <laughs> Let's talk about Thrill 3, Fire Kind. Man, 
Go for it. Scripted by John Smith, art robot Paul Marshall, letting robot Steve Potter. I'm stoked for this story, Fox. I know you're less less up on uh, it. Well, okay, look. I'm going to get this out of the way so I don't have to do it in the back half. Uh, as far as sci-fi writing, I'm interested, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would read this in my mind's eye. But they are asking me to read such a profound amount versus like, hey, there's some art going on and maybe you can look at this. Because like I, I need to know, like looking at one panel in this comic doesn't actually tell me everything I need to know. Right. Mm-hmm. I need the context of what's being written and what's being written is quite a lot. Yes. And then subsurface to this, uh, there's there's some real like. I'm I'm the doctor with all of the magical tech visiting the Aborigines kind of thing. Kinda. Which we'll see as it goes I'm on. I'm hoping I'm hoping it opens up a little bit. Because there's some interesting yes. sci-fi that's kind of going on around it. Where it's like I what I really like is, you know, kind of what's going on with the species. There's three sexes, one which includes a tree, and then there's kind of, you know, there's there's a lot going on here that I appreciate. So just know that my hemming and hawing is mostly just about like Jesus Christ guys like I feel feel like you could do this with with pictures as much as you do with words if that yeah, makes I mean, sense. Like, yeah, like a lot of John Smith stuff it is it, it is pretty wordy in comparison to uh to other things that we're reading. Although listen, we're actually in a very wordy beautiful. episode of 2000 AD or of this, a space spinner for the record. This <laughs> is not a bottom for me. Just want to make mm-hmm. that clear. It's more of just like a Okay, I'm going to take 30 minutes to actually go through all of this, which sure. is fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to look at this one just because because of the words. It's one that I skimmed through in my initial read-through, so I really am taking some time to figure out what's going on and read this one pretty closely this Yeah, it's time. Exact, exactly what I did, right? Like, I yeah. read through everything, and then I, I kind of looked at everything that was going on, so that I kind of built that picture in my mind's eye. Absolutely. I'll tell you that. Um, and we read this in the uh, in, in an editorial early, um, um, recently that this story came out of sort of a conversation between Smith and um, Alan McKenzie, sub editor of just maybe doing a dragon story in 2000 AD, just to have a little more fantasy to go along with the sci fi. Although I would honestly say that this story. Oh, it's way more sci fi than is, dragons. Yeah, is d- despite definitely having dragons, is one of the most sci-fi stories we've ever seen in 2008. Oh, hands down, this in is... terms of ju- yeah, of just in terms of like something that uh, like of a hard like S- a- Isaac Asimov kind of. Sh- or, yeah, uh, you no, know, exactly. Arthur just C. wait Clark till Dad sucks thing. the eggs out of a uh, out of his daughter's back coming up yeah, here. Trying to be weird, um, and, and a big thing is that. Um, for me, and in um, you know, t- I don't know, but uh, t- if you know this, but 2000 AD did like a, a series of YouTube videos called like uh, ABC 2000 AD. Where okay. They just sort of do rundowns of different thrills and just like a three minute sort of like back of the book sort of rundown of different thrills and stuff. And they compare Firekind very closely to Avatar. Um, okay. The uh, the James Cameron one I should mention um, just in the idea of uh, of someone of a human coming to a uh, a heavily forested alien planet where there are big flying monsters everywhere yeah but and they've got sort of their own alien culture and I mean, stuff I, like that I get that I feel like he's way more of a scientist 
in sure. that way. But, yeah. but I, I I get that. Like it is very last of the Mohicans vibe to the whole thing. Yeah. You can you know? see some similarities. Yeah. I would say a big thing um that I've read in Thrill Power Overload is that uh, John Smith said he want he wanted to create an alien race that was really different and unique from humans, not just sort of a pastiche of a uh, of of human things. Um I mean, and, they do stand on two legs, have two arms, have a head, okay. standing yeah, upright, but, head, eyes, teeth. Okay, nose. yeah. You, no, you're right. I but mean, I'm I, just I appreciate that, that. Well, the context of how they least, lived, very different. Yeah, at least culturally, he tried to make them different. And that's something that I know uh, Cameron and, and when they were creating Avatar, that's something they initially tried to do, but then sort of fell, fell away from it. There's a really interesting video on YouTube where they talk about like what they tried to do with Avatar's music and then ended up not using any of it, basically. No, <laughs> they, I, I, absolutely. I think that um, humanizing the physical form and then completely making the rest of it batshit crazy yeah. was a good move on Firekind's part. Yeah. Again, and is, I, yeah. as someone who loves sci-fi, like the, the reproductive cycle of a specific species, like that's like mwah, chef's kiss sci-fi. They nailed it For here. Sure. It's very interesting. Yeah. And I should also say that um, two more things just real quick. One, um, this is one of those ones where we where I'd be saying that that's collected um in 2000 AD Extreme Edition eight and that's what you should get if you want a physical copy of this one, um but a digital copy was recently released just in uh, September of 2021 just like like a month ago or so, so that's sort of where it's 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 most freshly available now and there's a bit of infamy around the publication of this story which we'll discuss next episode. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's Just it's a beautiful. Letting people know that I'm aware of how oh 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 of where this thing's going. <laughs> it's a beautiful looking comic, and I appreciate the the prose of the entire thing. Yeah. Uh, I do not think it is a great comic book adaptation so far. Let's see how it goes. You know, we this one's going to be around for a little bit. Exactly. That's why I said so far. It's yeah. so far. You know, I'm my interest is peaked, but it's not my top. Sure. A man's face appears on a sea of planets. He says he's become a concept, a string of numbers. He moves through reality, past the future, people he's never met, atrocities undone. And eventually he lands on the planet of Genyo Lail. Mind first, then body, which seems to be being built in an orange gem painted by numbers until a giant red dragon almost eats him. It, he falls it away is a from cool it. way to deal with teleportation. I'll say that much. Absolutely. Yeah, this sort of like it seems like um, some sort of packet of like 3D assemblers appears and is sort of building him from scratch, essentially. Mm. The dragon flies overhead and he falls, seeing a blue humanoid underneath the monster, riding it like a hang glider. It's called uh, Kashin, and they're being slaughtered by poachers. The man is only built from head to about elbow height and is standing on some kind of giant floating stone platform. He activates a machine on his waist and teleports elsewhere to Siyoku Asha Kadrine, a giant M.C. Escher-esque like temple or castle or something growing mm. out of the middle of a lush alien jungle full of strange alien architecture. You know, it's like masonry from heaven, he thinks. 
His hands brush against a wall covered in tiny faces with red eyes and open mouths. As another of those stone platforms flies overhead, suddenly a beast with a gaping toothy circular maw emerges from the underbrush and attacks him. He teleports again, finally landing in a village full of bald, light blue-skinned, red-eyed people. They wear primitive garments and some play musical instruments. The man has blonde hair, a purple suit with ruffled sleeves, and a clear breath mask over his nose and mouth. He's Hendrick Milhouse Larson, and on behalf of the Charter, or uh, and on behalf of the Access Charter Worlds, he extends his greetings. We got some sci-fi stuff going on here. Oh yeah, I just wish it wasn't so steeped in like I'm going to meet the Mayans. Hmm. Yeah, but I would say, I would say let that percolate. Is my okay. Um, excellent it is, is is what I say. Larson observes a native named Loyally Co. as he does some kind of sci-fi plant work, and Larson records it on video. It seems these people, the Genyans, have only an abstract concept of time and are themselves very short-lived. The oldest person in this village, for instance, is 34, and that scene is un- uncommonly old. And the jungles they are in is just full of dangers lurking in the shadows. We see a mating ritual, which seems to involve a male harvesting an embryo by mouth from a receptacle that comes out of a woman's spine. And this is accompanied on the side of the page by an encyclopedia entry about sort of detailing this process. The egg is then sort of transferred to a tree of some kind. The baby and the first thing I read. I love it. The embryo is sort of grown there. It's an interesting like process. So I guess the yeah. tree is the third gender there. It's a whole yeah, thing. Yeah, it is. It is the third gender. It's where um, the gestation takes place. Yeah. So the embryos are born out of the spine. The males then suck out the embryo and allow them to collect in sacs in the mouth, and then mm-hmm. they have to go to the body orchard, which is a fucking. SCP beauty of a fucking term and then they have to they have to plant them basically within the tree to be born yeah interesting um Larson eats with Loyly Co's family in a house grown out of living coral on the land we learn that the air of Genyo Lil is full of uh psychotropic uh pollen so, like, apparently, if you breathe it unaided, you, you'll start tripping balls. Uh, they <laughs> then travel to the sea, dodging giant jungle monsters, observing strange sea life on the beach until a group of Kashin fly overhead. That night, Larson sits in his personal dome, the only place he doesn't have to wear a mask, and looks o- over the plants and animals he's found that day, giving them names and classifications, listening to the predators move around this place of safety he has. He's also scanning for mysterious energy concentrations, but not having much luck. That seems to be at least a side reason why he's here. This this weird energy that presumably his bosses want to tap into or something like that. Um, uh, There's a telling tomorrow. That's capital T telling. And he he wants to rest up for that. Then it's time to go look at some photoplankton. He should sleep, but can't. This new world is too fascinating. So time for the telling. Larson has been at the village for four months now and is earning the natives' trust. The telling seems to be a performance of oral history as a Genyan with a necklace of bird heads tell the story, tells the story of the fool who unsung the song. It's it time he- to see some trippy imagery of a crazy-ass sun god. 
Absolutely. Yeah, this seems to be an origin myth, I guess, and told using the art of the Genyan, which has a very, like you said, kind of like, yeah, like Mesoamerican kind of feel. I, I would guess. say that. Yeah, Mesoamerican meets kind of like African. Yeah, like the some of the images of like, yeah, like the all spirit of the sun god have kind of an African feel to me as well. Just sort someone, of, you know, someone, on, someone on this team has very clearly done acid or at the very least mushrooms. Yeah, and cracking you, an anthropology, an anthropology uh, book while doing it. I'm, I'm saying Smith, to be honest. Like, that guy does too much body horror to not have done something at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and I, I, I should say also just, yeah, the art's really great here. Like, really got to recommend it. And I, like, it. there's a lot to read, but I think the the writing of this is also very, very good. Absolutely. Um Basically, in the long, long ago, the Genians could only eat from the trees of the planet, but then a plague came that killed all the fruit. So a man named Moem Sul asked the All-Spirit for permission to eat more stuff. The All-Spirit agreed, and the face of the All-Spirit is basically a sun with, like, a fish for a nose, I guess? And I should mention, I guess I haven't mentioned this before, but the this planet has multiple suns. So there's a lot of talk about like first dawn or second noon, mm-hmm. like telling time based on the position of the different suns in the sky and stuff so like that. So basically the sun double matters. Ooh. And uh, um, what, I, what I will say about the construction of, of their god is mm-hmm. that the fish separates two different types of face, right? So yeah. The tendrils around the, the sun yeah. are ever changing. However, one half has sharp teeth, a squinted eye, like half of the brow is is kind of cut off in red. And the other half is a smiling face with a wider opened eye um, and a little bit more fiery. Yeah, I wonder if that's the two, like the two suns smashed together or something like that's that. That's kind of how I was thinking me. about it. Yeah. Um, anyway, the all spirit says, yeah, eat what you want, but don't eat those new excellent fish that I just made or the cashine. Duh. Obviously don't eat those guys. They're dragons. Don't eat the dragons. You idiots. Don't eat them dragons. Yeah. Don't eat my cool fish. Yeah. Come on. They're, they're brand new, buddy. You know, don't mess them up yet. (laughs) The people are happy and well-fed again, but Moem Sul is visited by Swarani, the trickster, who tells him to definitely go eat those things. Hey, look, it's the nighttime god. <laughs> yeah, and that eating the the uh, the flesh of the Kashin will grant you uh, knowledge that the All-Spirit doesn't want you to have. And also get you high as fuck. Live it up. Moam Sul decides to do so and you know but while he does it he doesn't even try to hide it from the all spirit he just says like hey is it cool if I do those things anyway and the all spirit's like look buddy like I told you not to, I'm not a I didn't tell you those th- not to eat those things because I'm a jerk or whatever like it's it's dangerous if you eat them so don't do it yeah no look you don't need to look it's a very biblical thing you're not supposed to have this knowledge. I told you it's forbidden. Don't do that because you'll be able to speak to all the animals, sure. But also I said no. And don't eat the fucking dragons. I told well, you that. I would say it's different from the Bible because the Bible sort of says, no, you can't have this knowledge because I don't want you to have it. Whereas when Moam Sul actually like tries to eat these excellent fish, when he pulls them ashore, they turn to sharp rocks and cut his hands all up, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, it's not safe. There's and punishment then, for trying to gain knowledge, bud. 
I mean, they got built-in um, defenses or something. So Old Spear was like, hey, like, you won't even be able to eat them. They'll just turn to rocks. So they don't even try. And he's like, no. And then with bandaged hands, Moem Sewell goes and cuts some flesh off a of Kashin and eats that. But when he does, he can suddenly understand the language of all things at once, which is not great because suddenly the voices of everything in the world, from bugs to beasts to birds, now fills his ears and he quickly is struck mute, then blind, then mad. So, like, you know, the old spear was talking sense when he said don't eat it. You I know? mean, you know, getting kicked out of the old Garden of Eden. That's how. Well, well but again, like, you know, it didn't when drive them, Eve... It didn't drive them mad, but they definitely lost their house. But they did get a flaming sword out of the deal. You're right. They lost their house because God was like, don't eat those things, as opposed to this time where it's directly the, if like, you know, the, the going mad is the version of Adam and Eve realizing that they're naked in the, in the Bible story. But anyway, we're, we're far afield because, <laughs> oh, geez, now I'm, I'm chuckling. This is a rough part. Because before the story can finish, a voice rings out and it's a Genyan, tears running down his face, a bloody nose and broken teeth. They cry out murder and then fall, dragging down the beaded curtains that um, uh, that are the entrance to the uh, where, where the telling has taken place. We learn the man died soon after, and he comes from a neighboring village or uh, lodge they call them, coming to warn them that death is coming with an empty belly. The Genians decide to go investigate, and Larson is allowed to come along. They do so by flying there on the Kashin, and Larson's super duper into it. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't throw his arms up and do the whole like "yeah" thing from. I think he is basically like never-ending story. Just his you know? head, and I think he's he's partially doing that then. Um, which listen, the um, like the this excellent dragon flying picture and Larson being real stoked is really contrasted by the next page. Oh yeah, heads on heads on sticks. Yeah, they follow a column of smoke and finds bodies burning, heads on stakes, or they're strung up from tree limbs. A bunch um, of flesh everywhere. Yeah, bodies missing, fingers, also, faces cut off. Also, the only image that I have ever seen so far in this comic that I would call anime, which is him in like the blue color and his arms are like stretched out and he's like, ah! his yeah. eyes and his mouth. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, like Gundam wing animation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we, we learned, we see that like bodies, yeah, were tortured and mutilated and interfered with, if you will, um, before they died. Some villagers committed suicide rather than face their killers. And then suddenly Larson has a vision. And like you said, he does assume that um, anime going insane face. Yeah. You know, where you're sort of like, yeah, from right above your forehead, kind of looking down, get a little wall-eyed like that. Um and he has a vision of what happened. First, he sees the village happy the day before the attack and a vague image of the killers. But um, that's pretty. But uh, before he can see more, although he does get an image directly of a of an of like a uh, like a totem pole or something of the all spirit, like how mm -hmm. like it like sort of built out of like wood or something like that. But before he can see more, one of the Genyans pulls him out of his trance. And we see that they, they donate the dragos. Yeah, they've killed a bunch of the Keshin as well. And while that po points to poachers, poachers generally don't wipe out whole villages. Um, which we is also get a Wikipedia text blob here, which is great to to read. 
Because it's like, listen, these things secrete a particular type of chemical, which helps with like very specific diseases like cardiovascular diseases, some, uh, what is it, uh, Kreutzfeldt groaning uh, or growing mm-hmm. uh, syndrome and Alzheimer's yeah. and shit. So it's like, there's a bunch of reasons why you want to harvest these dragons. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it, I mean, I, I will say if, if you're comparing it, that is, it's a little bit more direct than sort of like unobtainium or whatever. Oh, yeah. Like they're like, listen, whatever they're doing on this planet, we can harvest that shit at the end. It's real good for humans. But literally, you have to do horrors. You have to do unspeakable horrors. Yeah, sort of, you know, it's one of the, the secondary things that the spice does on Arrakis, right? The, uh, <laughs> the immortality stuff. Um, but then a cry goes out and all the Genyans start to weep and wail, and wail because the bellies of the trees where they grow their young have been slashed Split open. asunder and all the little babies are dead. They've all been stomped on and murdered. Um, the Genyans sing a morning song and the forest goes still around them. And there's a bunch of like butterflies and stuff like that involved here too, which is really like contrasts the obvious sadness of these moments. And man, these guys, this is a rough time. Next time, the shunning. Gee, I wonder what will happen. You know, you got to follow these paths. Yeah. Interesting stuff. I, I, I'm really excited about Firekind. You know, I think this is going to be a, this is an interesting story and I'm stoked to uh, to read it more. Yeah, I know. I'm just going to be making sure that I set aside at least 30 to 45 minutes to make sure I get in everything, which. Yeah. Again, like I so I appreciate that, but I'd rather drink in pages and text versus study them if that makes sense sure yeah but, no, you know i'm like again i'm this is not me saying this is bad like it's just me saying that me fox i'm like oh god so much reading so much goddamn reading <laughs> i have to read all the yeah. time i can empathize for sure man listen we all got lives to do things with you know and speaking of additional reading let's talk about non-thrills covers and new cities Prog 828, it's thrills a poppin' as this cover features Bad Company, Firekind, Armored Gideon, and Dread, all by their various artists, although the Dread's by Cliff Robinson. In the Nerve Center, Tharg introduces himself and admits that no one really reads the Nerve Center, except for me, I guess. Wow. <laughs> he also gives a rundown of Beetlejuicy in terms and teases upcoming stories. Also, this issue came with a pair of postcards, I should say. There's yeah. a Dread from the cover of the 88 Dread Annual by John Higgins, and then an Anderson cover by Mick Austin. It's the one where it's she's the got the low cut top. Yeah, yeah. Um, I should say, I saw John Higgins at a comic convention give, give sort of a talk oh, really? and stuff. It was cool, yeah. Cool. The, uh, at, the, um, uh, at the Coventry Comic Convention. It was fun. It's pretty Talk neat. about DC stuff. Mid-issue, there's a whole bunch of comic book ads, including one that specializes in American comics, and another ad that's got a picture of everybody's first anime OC, sort of yeah. up there looking anime-ish. The input page has Mustachio Judge Dracula, and letters ask why they killed Revere. They didn't. And compliment the return <laughs> of the Gronk, respond to that angry letter from Brog A21, and demand return. to know... Oh, sorry, what? Compliment the return of the Gronk? People like the Gronk. They also want to know how much that doggy in the window was actually worth. The prog ends with the cover for next week and the promise of free stickers in that issue. 
Dope. Prog 8, 829, Kano, uh, bad attitude. Kano is back in action as he stands among the floating heads of his dead comrades. This issue came with a pack of five stickers, including pictures of Kano, Tharg, Armored Gideon, and Firekind Dragon, as well as an Ascara drawing of Kraken pretending to be Judge Dredd. I haven't forgotten. I don't know the context Jesus. of that picture. In the Nerve Center, Thug mentions that there's no price listed on this issue, just the barcode, because there was a worry that these stickers would block where the barcode usually goes, so they had to move it around so that it would be sure to uh, be scanned successfully. Mm. Um, anyway, you can meet the 2000 AD crew oh, shit. at the Glasgow Comic Art Convention, Fox, a.k.a. Glasgow. The- <laughs> God. <laughs> The input page is pictures of Judge Gary Lineker, who is a football player and announcer, and Tharg the Trivial, who's got a Trivial Pursuit game piece, one of those like pie things, um, where the Rosette of Syria should be. Letters question the abbreviation of honorifics for droids, like if you just call them like D instead of like Mr. or something. Say that Tharg predicted a 60s revival. Someone's dog looks like the Gronk. Someone else asks about the barcode generally on 2000 AD. Finally, remember old stories, and one of them uh, sort of mentions uh, that they liked Mean Arena back in the day, which will be coming back. What? Yeah. The Prog ends with a come on for next week's story and a third free gift. Prog 830, Pete Doherty draws that rascal Johnny Kiss shooting a picture of Judge Dredd. Yeah, he's so handsome. Dark asks how we're liking these new thrills and mentions the gift this issue, a 2000 AD writer's or artist's starter kit, a pencil with 2000 AD logos on it. All right. Come on, guys. The input page is a picture of a dread angler fish and a judge. Yeah, and a judge Annabella from Which is the worst. Mm. Letters ask what 3000 AD will be called in the year 3000. 2000 AD, I think. Probably. There's apparently a real-life person named Joe Dredd, though I'm doubtful. Um, there's some claims that Kelly is actually a ripoff of a character from Dragonlance, like the really? Dragonlance novels, who I guess also had a chest, a, a, a gem in their chest, a chest in their gem. But nah, man, like Kelly way predates that, although 2000 AD also maybe doesn't have the rights to use Kelly in the first place here. So Yeah, um, I mean, know. like, uh, what is it? Fuck. Why am I forgetting? Um, skeleton warriors also have like gems in their chest. Gems in your chest is not like good place to put a gem. Well, no, it's not a good place to put a gem. That's true. I'm just unsurprised by gems in chests, I guess. See, I'm more of a visionaries guy. You put a hologram in there. Oh yeah. Visionaries. (laughs) Uh, Also, someone mentions that Jurassic Park, the movie, which is coming out soon, is a very similar concept to those dinosaur parks in the Cursed Earth, which we've talked about before. The prog ends with more anime commercials. This one for one called Three by Three Eyes. Whoa. 3X3 Eyes? Sansen Eyes? It's Three by Three Eyes. eyes? Yeah, something like that. 831, big robots behaving badly. Gideon fights that dude with a hard-to-pronounce name and a fun Simon Jacob cover. Um, and I should say that this the, the, the top text here is a reference to the show Men Behaving Badly, which had probably just finished its first series when this issue was being like laid out and stuff like that. In the Nerve Center, Tharg demands that 2000 AD 
be on a shelf visible to all readers. Hell yeah. Also, there's a plug for um, the best of 2000 AD um, like publication, which has a cool um, like wraparound cover by, by a bunch of different artists and stuff like that. Um, I'm like, it looks cool, but that thing's also just 100% reprint stuff. So we, we won't be covering it on the show. I'll mention just like, it is a publication that exists, but we won't be covering it because we've already covered all that stuff before. Okay. The input page is a very thick dread picture and a crosshatched Joe Pineapple that's thick with six C's, buddy. Letter says dread looks like whoever plays him in the film. And then they ask whatever happened to Revere and Miss Judge Anderson. And buddy, Judge Anderson's doing all kinds of shit in the magazine right now as we speak. Hey, look it's at like that. fighting demons and stuff. It's like this Jesus stuff involved. It's crazy. Others Jesus compliment- stuff involved. Literally. Others compliment Flesh and Bradley and ask for artist submission details, which are supplied. And that's it for our non-thrill content. Oh, God. Oh, thank Christ. So much stuff, Fox. Anyway, I'm tired of us beating around the bush, talking about things with lots of words and stuff like that. We've had a lot of those and a lot of our thrills. So Why don't we go to, to something with uh, multiple cliffhangers? Yeah, let's cut to the chase here with Thrill 4, Kelly's Eye. So fucking goddamn it. Script robot, Alan McKenzie. Art robot, Brett Ewins and Gina Hart. Letting robot, Ellie DeVille. All right. Okay. Invulnerable chest gem dude, Kelly and Mariana Trench are on the the run from goons. Uh Uh-oh. But luckily, Mariana's a crazy hover car driver. No, she's not. Oh, really? She's pulling right angles and making Kelly squeal like a wimp. But they still can't lose these thugs. And in the end, Kelly surrenders and they head to Trench Tower where Mariana's husband is. Kelly readies his guns as they're challenged by the tower's ATC system. Whoa, not the ATC system. Oh, no. They land and Kelly blows up the car that's been following them. Oh, God, they blew up the car. To the confusion of the building security team. Oh, my God. Kelly starts dieharding his way into the building. And just blatantly getting shot up by a bunch of dudes. Oh, man, I bet that hurts because he says that it hurts every time he gets shot. Oh, my God, this active listening stuff you're doing is killing me. (laughs) They don't like it. No, it's fine. Do you? Kelly gets blown away and comes Whoa! back up shooting. No way. Jeez, oh, he, he got hates back Mariana's up? husband, he says. Oh, man. He runs to the building, dodging past elevators and is fighting his way to the top floor. Oh, yeah. Tossed you got to fight your way to the top the floor. Absolutely. And when it doesn't go off, the husband asks if like his wife hired Kelly to kill him. Nah, man. Kelly- no, no way he did that. He would never yeah. do that. Kelly's too cool for that. Yeah, Kelly says he's doing it for free, and then the grenade goes off, and it apparently oh, vaporizes geez. all the goons in this room, except for Kelly and the husband. There's just some up the with that husband. Kelly figured it out. Come on, man. God, I'm so excited. At Kelly's mercy. Yeah. So Kelly lets the husband get back up, and oh, he good takes job, a pot Kelly. shot at Kelly. Um, not happy that Kelly is clearly after oh, my doing God. it with his wife. Yeah. They're just like punching each other. It's so cool. Yeah. So anyway, Kelly kills this dude, then gets a call from Mariana, confirms the oh murder. My, okay. Well, like he'd let her know, right? Like, okay, yeah. everything's clear. Let's let's go back. And I he grabs a tux, right? Yeah. He puts on one of the dead man's suits and rejoins yeah. her. God, he's so they slick. They fly to the shuttle port hotel and presumably oh, man. do it. 
Yeah, great job. It, like I'm getting it. paid. I'm got I got a this lady. I saved her from her husband, right? There's nothing bad that's going to happen out of this one. Yeah, later it seems Mariana wants to skip town and Kelly wonders about her carefree attitude, then realizes the whole thing was a setup. Oh my god, if, Conrad, are you telling me that this lady was just trying to get him to kill her husband the whole time? He thought she was a femme fatale, or no, she he thought she was a damsel in distress, but she was really a femme fatale, tricking Kelly into killing her husband. Oh no. Oh my god, I don't. I can't believe that I loved this comic for so long, only to have it trick me like this. They part in a crowded shuttle port, and Kelly basically thinks that leaving dames is pretty easy when you're immortal. The end of Kelly. It's easy being sleazy, I guess. What a fucking wreck. And that's the end. We won't see any more Kelly in the future. Well, I wonder fucking why. Just dust that right off your shoes, buddy. The end of Kelly. Didn't enjoy it, Conrad. It had some fun cliffhangers at the start, but oh, then yeah. it just became a lot of cliffhangers. It, it became, ah, oh, man, I can't wait until she just says, you killed my husband, thank you. Yeah, I think we all <laughs> clocked her portrayal pretty early, honestly. But hey, speaking of a, of a classic Brett Ewins artwork, Fox. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Finally. Finally. Yes. Let's yes! go to Thrill 5, Kano. Remember when I said it would be great if he was like a, a working at home dad? Mm-hmm. I'm so yeah, happy he, I was mostly right. He's gone full uh, Thanos at the end of Infinity War here, you know? Oh, God, that was fucking... <laughs> Script about Peter Milligan, art about Brett Ewins and Jim McCarthy, letting her about Tom Frame. We haven't seen Bad Company since 1988, Fox, if you God, can imagine. God, that's so many years ago. Who remembers who Kano is? Seriously, now it seems Kano is uh, homesteading in an alien world five years since the war ended, and Kano has just found the body of a dead seven-year-old girl. Oh, it's a bummer. Uh, man, I, yeah. Kano walks the land, reflecting on this planet he's on. It's a good world, but a tough one. And he mentions that every day at noon, time runs backwards for an hour. Like, that's just something we're <laughs> supposed to go with. Yeah, he's just like, listen, you got to know this. It's a weird one. I, I mean, it's out in the in the fucking open while he's walking to this Just burial where he wants to be a part it. of it. Middle of a sentence. <laughs> yeah, you'd miss it. Otherwise. <laughs> anyway, um, there's also a mysterious jungle out there. Kano recaps a bit of his own past as he walks to the girl's funeral in town. It seems he's got a wife and a kid, I guess. Hey, look at him. Trying to just yeah. like... He's listen, the man suffering from PTSD. He just wants to settle down. He wants to make a life for himself. I can't be more proud of Kano. Absolutely. Um, the girl is buried and Kano feels bad. Or the townsfolk think it was a man named Simmons that's done it. He ran into the jungle and they're putting together a posse to get him. But Kano doesn't join. He's walking a path of peace now. He stays home. And that night is unable to sleep when he hears a strange noise. He goes to investigate, and it's Thrax from the first Bad Company story. Hell, he's dead. We no, know they're he's old buddies dead. from the war. Yeah, but there is a problem, namely that Thak Thrax died in the course of Bad Company, and he's been dead for ten years. Man, I love this action movie fucking opening. 
God damn Threk it. said he didn't actually die. Whatever, he's been bumming around since the war and wants Kano to join him in doing some battle again. But Kano rejects him and again brings up Thrax's death in Bad Company 1. And Thrax's rejoinder is, hey, if I'm so dead, how come all these other dead guys are with me too? And oh, brings God. in Scummer and Malcolm. Uh, Scummer was, or Kano killed Scummer pretty early in Bad Company 1. But Malcolm was a big death in the course of that story. Oh, Hard yeah. to forget. Oh, Especially, yeah. you know, the way Danny Franks agonized over it. And then he came back as a zombie and stuff like that. And here's where we get a, a quick aside that Danny is still the cruel heart and the area of cruel space is now called Danny's heaven. And anyone who tries to go there is not returned. Yeah. I, I mean, I love this because all of this setup could be just like, oh, we're not actually dead. And then I, they, it all turns around in a weird way. There's a lot going on. In the morning, the ghosts are hanging out around the farm as Kano's son, you know, just gives him a hard time about not going after that girl's killer. But Kano doesn't want to go. He's scared of what might be in the jungle and of what might be in himself. You know, that old murder force inside him. Suddenly, the search party returns. They found Simmons, but some other creature killed him. They lost three men in the search. And one of the survivors gives Kano a hard time about not going. Kano mentions that the other to the other searcher that he's been seeing ghosts, and that man, the father of the dead girl, says that he sees his own ghosts as well. Everybody does. It's something to do with this planet. And then it gives a very good uh, Seinfeldian. Uh, it's a good planet. Yeah, listen, <laughs> it's a thing. good planet. Apart from like you know what's in the jungle and the ghosts, like that's fine. The ghosts can be shot and killed, we learn, just FYI, or they might go away on their own. Kano's wife seems incredulous, but then they both realize that their son, Pan, is missing, which is tough. It's all gone wrong, uh, see, so Kano... No, as soon as their son, Pan, goes missing, he's like, fuck no, open up the box time. Pulls out his gold coins and gets his shit back together. I, that's what I'm saying, man. Like, I love this. It's an action movie opener. Yeah, war has called him back, and he can no longer afford to be a man. Or sorry, he can no longer just be a man. He can't afford to be a man in this situation. And it's pretty badass as he walks off with like a oh, gun and a big bandolier God, hell full yeah. of bullets it's, and it's stuff. It's Frankenstein with a bandolier and a goddamn massive gun. Absolutely. Kano walks into the jungle facing both the nightmares of his past and the possible nightmare of the future of his son being dead. He then suddenly knows what he's facing, a failed experiment, as he sees Jimmy, um, one of the other searchers, kneeling in a pool of vomit, terrified that his friend Frank has been torn in two. And then he throws up backwards, like, you know, throwing in, basically, because just struck noon and time's running backwards. Jesus Christ. Oh, God. And so he gets to watch all this shit happen. Yeah, Frank is back alive, and the two of them, along with Kano, are rushing through the forest, unable to change their actions. The dialogue we see goes in reverse here, although thankfully not actually written backwards, just in backwards order on the page. Yeah, and stuff. exactly. Like the panels, but it are was it was basically. interesting to see yeah. all of that. Yeah, the action of the panels is di- is backwards, but the narration boxes talk about how they're all sort of running through the motions of this stuff, even though they know how it'll end up when the hour's done, basically. Exactly. Um, 
So the dialogue, yeah, Kano asks what they're doing there, find, and then finds them in the clearing, and then makes his way back through the forest, chasing after a dark figure in the woods, and then seeing that figure for the first time. A pretty terrifying weasel dude all covered in, like, tumors and stuff. Don't like that one bit, Fox. I saw that. I was reading this comic late at nah, night, and I guess It was real felt, gross. And got a little bit of the creepy crawlies from it. Don't appreciate it, you know? Oh, man. I, 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 I struck it as pimples and tried to move on from it. Indeed. So time's running forward again, and Kato and Jimmy find the weasel dude who's seemingly now dying of the burst tumors on its body. God. Jimmy go, goes to kill it, but Kato stops him, kind of tossing him aside. He tries to ask the beast questions, but at the end, just kind of mercy kills it. And then yeah. cuts open the beast's stomach to see if his son is inside God there. Damn. Jesus. Luckily, so isn't. awesome. They go deeper in the forest. Why they cut open that shark in, in Jaws in the first part? They're like, we got to see what's in his tum-tum. Absolutely. You got to know. You got to be sure. Um, they walk deeper into the jungle as Jimmy complains. Kano talks about human attempts to make soldiers capable of fighting the cruel one-on-one. And mm. those uh, those members of this special corps either died or went insane. They were called the Frankenstein Corps. Something about this smells like plot device. Mm, suddenly a leg pops out of the undergrowth. It's Pan, Kano's son, and he's okay. Idiot. At least. Like, the one rule. Everyone dies when you go into the jungle. Don't go in there, even if your dad yells at you. You yeah. know? But that um, good times is lessened by the fact that suddenly a bunch of Frankenstein core monsters appear out of the underbrush. Oh, geez. Frankencore. Next time, down among the dead men. <sighs> I loved it, Conrad. Fun. Not... This is a real spooky story, I think. Just um... I, I love it. I love that Kano's like, all right, listen, I'm just going to go be a farmer. Yeah, and just Kano being real damaged in the way he thinks about things and sort of dealing with his past life as a it's soldier lovely. and stuff like that. It's lovely. It's really nice. Yeah, it's a cool um, cool way to tell the story for sure. It was a very easy read, and I enjoyed every moment of it. Totally. Yeah, I will say, like, I think I'm more up on Firekind while you're more up on Kano, and I think we both agree that there's a real big speed, that Kelly was a real big speed bump in the course of this um, <laughs> of this month what? of frogs what you think it was bad i was I so excited know. by your rendition of it you know like all the cool things that kelly did <laughs> and how the story ended it's exciting let's finish up with thrill six future shocks the future shoot me god why is this five pages Mm, the story is called Terror at Lazy View Rest Home. Script robot Igor Goodkind. Art robot Ron Smith. Letting robot Ron, um, Ellie DeVille. Five pager here. First for a couple future shocks we'll have before another story starts next episode. Ugh. Earth is apparently constantly being invaded by aliens, but fighting them off somehow. The latest are some three-legged fish dudes here to assume earthly identities to take the Carbo Synth from Earth. For them, it's the most powerful spacecraft fuel in the universe. For us, it's just cheese spread. Okay. It's the croft. aliens will get it. Croft cheese for that. Uh, they'll beam their minds into the bodies of U.S. Uh, of a U.S. Air Force base, then use that as a base of operations I, to take why, that cheese. Why did they use LaGuardia? Like LaGuardia is an airport. 
I think it's just a name that people have heard of for like an airport or air thing, you know, sort of England, English folks not knowing a lot of U.S. geography, basically. I guess. It's a shitty airport. Don't go through LaGuardia. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know. No, you're right. Fair enough. I don't know. I don't know anything about It's like about LaGuardia, JFK, and SFO, and probably LAX, really. Get to your regional said, places and then you're fine. Listen, I'm a big believer in a, in a Burbank airport in, Burbank, uh, in L.A. Burbank or, is amazing. Or Sacramento Hope, is amazing. And Santa Barbara Airport, if you can actually get there, it'll be a connecting flight. But my God, you'll get through and you'll be in the sea air immediately. Though I had to go from uh, LAX to Heathrow to get out here. Oh, sad times. LAX um, is just such hot garbage. Hmm. Anyway, these fish dudes beam down, but the alien leader's no good nephew messes it all up. So instead, instead of the Air Force Base, they warp into a rest home next door to the Air Force Base. And now that leader is an old guy being forced to eat cheese spread in a bed. Oh, no. Okay, great. That's rough, man. A, uh, a bunch of old folks having to live right next door to an Air Force Base. Which presumably Honest, there's helicopters no, honestly, and planes yeah, that's pretty out shitty. All the time. Yeah. Bad for the ears, you know? Yeah, exactly. But hopefully good for the ears, Fox, as people getting a chance to listen to you give your opinions about what your top and bottom thrills are. For oh, more what? Really? Oh, my God. My God, I'm just so put on the spot here. Man, my top is Kano. Loved Kano. It was such like a, a nice read because I was so afraid of it. I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you out like straight out right now. I'm, I was like, God damn it. This Kano thing is going to be like more a bad company, more of this like, I don't know, meandering kind of shit. Um, Loved the first part of it. Got a little leery when they were like, "Ah, we're all still alive. And then it's like, oh, now you're not. The planet is weird. Where he's living is weird. Maybe his whole existence is weird. But God damn it, he's going to save his son. I don't even know if it's his biological son, right? Like, none of that's explained. And I don't think it needs to be. I I very much enjoyed it because it's the start, kind of this action comic that I really, I, I've come to enjoy quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Really loved Johnny Kiss, obviously. Like, fuck, if I could just give the award for just one dread this year, it's going <laughs> to be Johnny Kiss. Um, and, and I won't, I, like, again, I'm not shitting on Firekind. I'm looking at Firekind and saying, would you be a better sci-fi novel, right? Hmm. Like, I appreciate I appreciate the imagery. It's fucking beautiful. But I really feel like a lot of the context is almost constantly in the text. Because if, I, if you scan through any of the images, you will understand nothing about what's going on. That's fair. And so that's that's really my only complaint is that like, Yeah, of course, you shouldn't just look at all the images to get, like, an idea of the story. But then, like, if that's not the case, then why art, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's that's the only criticism I have of it. Other than that, I love it. And I guess, uh, I mean, what could my bottom be? (sighs) Man, I don't know. You know what? Honestly, Conrad, I'm going to really eat my hat here. I guess I'm going to have to give it to Kelly's eye. It's just uh, literally garbage. (laughs) <laughs> but uh you know more than me talking about all of this guffaw and mcguffin oh uh and also armored gideon's fine way too many words for that thing to actually be good way mm-hmm. too much exposition in lois lane anyway conrad top and bottoms let me know them
Tell me right now. Why aren't you telling me? I'm not going to finish my sentence until you tell me. So you'd better tell me. I mean, I've definitely got um, Kelly on my bottom for sure. That's a bottom (laughs) throw. Fair. Um, I think I will I will say Firekind is my top. I'm really excited about this story. I liked it a lot. I'm really stoked to read more of it. Um, again, this is one that, I mean, like you said, honestly, in my initial read-through of 2000 AD, like I was just moving fast and something that just required a lot, that had a lot of in-depth stuff and that you couldn't really pick up from the pictures was something I just kind of flipped through and ignored, basically. So I'm really willing. I really want to give it its chance this time and really get deep into it. And I feel like even... Yeah, and even just this initial reading has really um, given me a lot to appreciate. You know, this... um, I'm actually... I really like this month. Um, Honestly, because it was kind of wordy, it seems like with this reboot, they just got all the thinkiest um, 2000 AD writers together to write some big stuff. You know, they got John Smith talking about aliens they got peter milligan doing a bad company thing that's about like love and loss and whatever moving on and ptsd or something yeah and they've even got um tomlinson just getting real crazy with armored gideon i'm just like just so there's so much writing in this month of progs that to me that i thought was pretty cool actually as someone who often focuses on the narration maybe a little to the sometimes even to the detriment of um of the art or or of paying attention to the art and stuff like that so i don't know this felt like a very like Hey, shout out to Conrad to the Conrads out there. Um, month of our show, basically. <laughs> oh, I mean, look, I like I again, like I I honestly think the the crowning jewel of that then is is definitely Firekind, right? Mm-hmm. Did not uh, I I enjoyed it, right? But it's again, fine. I, like, like sorry, I, I, no, well, I worry that no, I'm, no, I'm no, not I, influencing your feelings too much by no, by, by no, 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 no. I love I love sci-fi novels. Um, and that's what it reminded me of, which is what was so invoking about it. The only reason I docked at points is that it's a comic book, right? Sure. And yeah. so that's that's where really what I'm looking at. Where I so I do agree with you. Versus last month, I mean, fuck, this is like a, this is a, a ten tiers above it in terms of. I mean, of yeah, what we had this to just read. feel like in comparison, like there were a lot of stories that I was very excited about. And working my way through and having a great time with um, this month versus the slog of last month. How how many whipping boys do we realistically have? Right. Yeah. I mean, at this point, like like Kelly certainly um, is a is 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 in the whipping boy status. But honestly, like, you know, maybe like, you know, listen, if it ends up being future shocks next week, next week, then that's a good problem to have or something. If we got absolutely agree. dig deep, you know. So anyway, yeah. So that should be interesting. I'm excited. And I feel like 93 has after a rough start, 93 feels like it's solidified a little bit, which is a good time. Yeah, absolutely. And hey, with that, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can spot find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Titch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at spacebinner2000.com. Feel free to contact spacebinner 2000gmailcom at gmail.com. The 2004 is on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at Space Spinner 2K for everything else. Look for Space Spinner 2000. We should be there. And why not drop us a rating or review wherever you're listening? Hey, Hope come so. on, buddy. Do drop it. us that rating. Come on. Yeah. 
This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardinghands, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash cradline. That's our podcast network. Support the show. Get rewards. It's a good time. Then come back next episode as we take a look at the 1993 sci-fi special. Um, which will have a bunch of just sciencey things and a special guest, and then we'll continue. And then the week after that, we'll continue with our current lineup and sow the seeds of future events as we head to Titan and make our way into Purgatory. <laughs> Should be a good time. And until then, I'm Conrad East Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splunking.